This is a thoughtful and blunt exploration of pot and its magic, the role it has in the lives and processes of cool and creative people everywhere, and an evolving cannabis culture that we're seeing happen before our very eyes. We're going to talk to some of the most interesting names in and out of the industry, sharing stories, trying shit first, and connecting women all around the world who use cannabis creatively. Calling all the cannabishes, welcome to High Tea. High Tea is a high vibe podcast for women who also smoke weed. Yeah, how was episode one for you? After it was good for one, me. Was it was good for you. It was good for me. I it was okay for you. It was no, I liked it. I mean, I did the like grinding, editing, back end sort of thing, and that's not my wheelhouse. So it was a learning curve for sure. Um, it's a journey, right? Like we're we're kind of figuring this out as we go. And I thought the first episode was great. There's sound stuff that I want to fix, but. Um, yeah, I like my the, voice, no. in general, my voice box. But I love, I love my the nasal vibe. passage. And we've gotten, <laughs> <laughs> your nasal passage is fine. Um, but I loved the vibe, and we we got a lot of really good feedback from people who we got good feedback. We got really good feedback. And we got a lot of feedback from dudes, which surprised yes. me. Like, how yeah. many dudes are we know you're listening? We know you're listening, dudes. Uh, not just for women, I guess. I but guess. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, and agreed. obviously everyone wants to have a conversation. And you know what, I. I came to realize like w- there's so much we don't know yes, like I'm, totally. I'm a seasoned smoker you're you know you've been smoking a long time too but you know there's so much we so don't much know we don't from know. the flower and the chemical of the flower chemical makeup of the flower mm-hmm. and how you can evolve that and work yeah. with that um to a lot of the sort of socio-cultural yeah. kind of conversation that needs to yeah. be had around cannabis right now and what's happening to people and the unfair yeah. the injustices well in the way that people who have been advocating for cannabis for a long time are now getting pushed to the side yeah they're getting snuffed out of the conversation basically and they won't have the opportunity to properly and I say this pun intended properly profit from the industry that they've helped create it's not just profit it's their their heart they hardly have the opportunity to shape the industry that they've yeah. created yeah. and and now you have people who don't understand it trying, trying to, to cash f- in well and trying to fit it into a system yeah trying to mold it into that doesn't even work for alcohol anyway no anyway. it doesn't Side note. So we decided to take ourselves to school. Go big or go home, girls. That's right? what that's that is my lesson for the day. So I woke Jen's, up one morning yeah. and I was like, uh-huh. Episode one, we just talked at each other. That's what that's what my mom said. She's yeah. like, when are you gonna not talk at each other? And episode <laughs> two, let's go for the queen herself. Go the big or OG. go home. So we reached out to none other than Jody Emery, the power of Twitter. Amazing. Beautiful yeah, thing. I reached out to her on Twitter and she happened to be in Toronto this week. She took time out of her afternoon to come speak with us. And school us. And basically school us. And we learned. I learned so much. So much. I truly did. Yeah. It was an honor, honestly, yeah. to meet her. And we're really excited and to what share a, this with what you guys. Because we feel like you're going to learn a lot as well um, from Jody. She's super intelligent. She's so well-spoken. There's nobody better to learn from. And yeah, she's the, the best person to advocate for cannabis, I think. Jody Emery, good match. I, I, I can, I love yes, I can. your Instagram. 
Oh, thanks. Beautiful. I don't really. I, as soon as Instagram stories I started doing, I stopped posting pictures regularly. And I'm like, yeah. darn, a lot of my life is forgotten because I usually just scroll through Instagram and be like, oh, yeah, I did that. And yeah. I did that. So. Now it's all like videos that are gone yeah, in 24 exactly. hours. Exactly. And it's kind of, yeah. I'm so trying to So you do more learn. stories? Is that I, what you're saying? Not since I've been here in the last few days, but I did start doing that more because I felt like I wanted to share things in my life or a things window. that are going on that are even time sensitive. Like, yeah. hey, there's a rally coming up. You should go to it. And then it's not really a permanent post I want forever. But um, yeah. Right. And I'm also, I'm kind of a hoarder of data and documents of my life. <laughs> so it's like I'm trying to learn how to let go by... It doesn't have to all be permanent. Just let it go. Yeah. You know, like, Into the universe. Right? I don't need Fly to document everything. Yeah. It happened. I know it happened. I don't need a box with a picture in it, you know? Yeah. But I bet everybody just wants to hear what's going I, on and know I your do. story and know what you're doing and know yeah. what you're up to. I mean, I'm obsessed. I'm I'm a long time tweet like Twitter person. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I've followed you forever. Like it that's it's so valuable, I found that's on Twitter. the platform, right? Yeah. The like voice. Facebook I quit a couple years ago. I'll things post through to there and I'll go look once in a while just for either the memories or to approve a post that I was tagged and that's relevant to something. But otherwise I don't comment or get in debates on Facebook anymore. No. I found it just sucked my life away and yeah. it left me feeling really bad all the time. It was just yeah. bringing out negative because that's the yeah. whole point is getting negative mm-hmm. reactions and yeah. debates. There's also a different sort of intellectual engagement depending on the platform right like Instagram doesn't want to hear or talk about a lot of the things that Twitter does right right? it's not a place to go get like news updates no exactly exactly interesting yeah no Twitter's been invaluable for media and politicians connecting on that level and like when I'll see a tweet about some government propaganda and I'll reply to the reporter with studies you know refuting all that government claims and then I see an article the next week by that reporter citing all those studies. And I'm like, yes. Oh, 100%. I know I got that to them. I know that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the truth out there. Score yes. one for the good guys. Score awesome. <laughs> so Twitter is Twitter does valuable. allow for that, yes, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, and then you see stuff in mainstream media, like literally the next, <sighs> not even the next news cycle, like right. days later, and you know where they're pulling from, and it's just taking time to validate. Yeah. But I get all my information from Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Like that's the scary thing is if, if they shut down Twitter. Right? Just thinking if they remove all of this, Mm -hmm. if something were to go wrong, Mm -hmm. how do we communicate? Will people even be comfortable looking into other people's eyes for longer than two Uh minutes? You know, like, (laughs) are we all going to be kind of awkward? Like, I need something to check. You know, it's uh, strange. It's good and bad. Like all things in life, you can make good or bad out of it. But using social media for the power, the potential power that it has, which is the magnification of your voice, especially in a climate where you have a lot of really powerful governing bodies, et cetera, et cetera, trying to muffle your voice, right? And trying to get in the way of the shit that you're saying or to change the narrative or control the narrative for their own benefit and your truth telling, like, like, it just keeps popping into my head. Like you're the OG truth, truth teller in this space. It's scary too. Like I honestly, sometimes I'll want to post something and I think maybe I shouldn't say that right now. Do Mm -hmm. I really want to like call out the cops right before Mm -hmm. I go back to Toronto? I don't know. (laughs) Do I really want to get on the radar? Bill Blair again. You know, like, do I really want to do that? I don't know. Exactly. So I've done (laughs) quite a bit of poking. I'm thinking maybe I should just uh, sit back for a bit and recover and then get strong and come back again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why I wondered what your sign was. Maybe that's very Capricorn of you. I don't know. I need to know if you're more Capricorn. Very stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I like that. We need, we need that. And we need more women like, that in this space which is why we're so excited to talk to you like you are the og 
I didn't know if you like being called the princess. Of oh, pop. I don't mind at all. I don't care. Uh, I'd People be like, I'm call the me queen what they want. <laughs> it's only because uh, Mark's the prince of pot. That was yeah. so CNN called he, him, and I was wife, so it turned into. We princess. branded him first, <laughs> but it's pretty funny. I'm not. I'm not really princessy no, looking. You are. You <laughs> princess are. in black. <laughs> There was something who looks very like powerful about you. Yeah. Witchy. Yeah, well, you command a crowd. I mean, I just, I mean, speaking of Twitter, I saw on your feed what was going on in 420, and, like, you command a crowd. It's a big crowd, it is. We bring the people together. And, yeah. you know, it's a, I, I've spent a lot of time speaking what I know others feel and believe, and then when I actually get to be with our people and with mm. those crowds, that's a really powerful overwhelming emotional experience actually um you know because i i've i feel in many ways that some people want mark and i and the old school activists to just step aside and like let the new school come in let people lobby government and do it this way and that way and they and then part of me goes yeah maybe they're right maybe i am just like a thorn in the side of government and i should just shut up and get comfortable with work or whatever but then i you know i went in Vancouver. A thorny rose. <laughs> there you go. Like that. A thorny rose in the side. <laughs> but, you know, I went to a garden shop the other day in Vancouver just for some flowers for my balcony, like not pot related at all. But it's a garden shop. And a lady who works there, a middle-aged lady, came up and she says, are you Jody?" And I said, yes. She said, please don't stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. It's so important. Like, I just please don't stop speaking out. It needs to be done. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, I'm here to unwind and not work and, like, yeah. not, like, hope other people take up the mantle or fight that fight. But then I get reminded again. I went to a grassroots conference, and this lovely old lady who runs uh, apothecary, like, products, these older ladies, they're so sweet. They make the pet treats and human edibles. Interesting. And she's been around for years, like, at least four or five years, maybe even longer. And she saw me, and I'm like, oh, it's good to see you again. And we got to see yeah. people because it's a conference. And she said, Jody, please don't stop talking out, talking about the truth. Like, you, we're depending on you. So many of us are depending on you because we can't speak out anymore. Like, I can't speak out. I can't go out to these events publicly anymore because yeah. my business partners are scared. I mean, edibles are not legal yet, yeah. and we're scared. So there's a lot of fear, and they're, like, turning to me and be like, Jody, you need to save us. And I'm like, I've done everything I can That's for a lot so of pressure. long. Like, I, and, and I want to do right, and I want to be inspiring and hopeful and honest and all. It's I think that's it's what you are. Yeah. You're definitely inspiring all of us to use our voices in our own way. Yeah. And part of the reason we want to have a conversation with you is because we're using our voices, and we want to make sure they're informed and that we know the realities of what's going on out there. Yeah. There's a lot of good, exciting, fun stuff, and then there's a lot of risks and... As you say, I mean, we're, we're actually co-creating the future of cannabis right now. And if you put the power in the hands of the wrong people, it can really end up yeah. a, a, a situation that none of us want, right? right? And, and that definitely depends on the people who are, or who are making the decisions and the right. information yeah. they have and what information has been going out there. Yeah. And like, it makes me so sad that the liberal government you know, got elected two and a half years ago. They could have spent all that time dismantling the propaganda and saying, you know, we have science and research yeah. now, debunking all these Harper yeah. conservative dinosaur claims about oh pot. Gosh. But they didn't. You know, Bill Blair was like, we need to restrict and limit access. It's a threat to public health and public safety and be afraid mm. and, you know, nonstop propaganda for two and a half years. And then suddenly they go, oh, no, the conservatives are saying it's bad for you and people believe it. Why ever could that be? And yeah. it's like, well, because you've been scaring people 
nonstop about it with yeah. campaigns and advertising and fear mongering and, and perpetuating that stigma. So no wonder the conservatives are somehow being taken seriously when they come Not up with sure. terrible yeah. statements. They've been pushed to it and supported by the Liberal government refusing to have the courage. They should have had courage, not cowardice, when it yeah. came to getting elected and talking about pot. Can we go back to the beginning? Mm -hmm. Can we talk about how your how cannabis came into your life and and you know when you first smoked and then how it all snowballed into what it is today? Well, in high school, I was against cannabis and against drugs and drinking and sex really? and anything te teenagers did. I I was a pe teacher's pet, you know, thirteen okay. going on thirty. Yeah. I was like authoritarian. I loved cops and people in uniform. Following the rules. Like, <laughs> Interesting. Totally, very, very much a rule it. following Capricorn is what I am. Okay. I like organization and authority and, you know, being bossy, some might say, in my report cards of long ago. But anyway, my best friend started smoking pot and I gave them so much grief about it because we had the D.A.R.E. classes and everything. And I was like, you guys are so stupid. You may as well just go kill yourselves now. If a house is burning down, just go stand in it because you may as well inhale the fumes and die oh like God. you're doing by smoking pot. And I was totally that kid uh, <laughs> and then 9-11 um, happened and it seems unrelated but in my life in my time you know I'm in high school 9-11 happens everybody's shocked and they're talking about you know going to Afghanistan and my best friends are like no it's Saudi Arabia is where they came from and yeah. this is the military industrial complex and it's about the oil wars and then you got Dick Cheney behind this yeah. with Ron and I was like, you guys are so smart. Like, how do you know more about world geography and history and politics and everything? And then it was because they were reading Cannabis Culture magazine and watching Pot TV, which yeah. were both created by Mark Emery. And both of them were journalistic, media-driven. They weren't about, yeah. oh, here's the best pot you can buy. It was, here's the drug war in Colombia and how they're spraying chemicals all over the coca fields and cannabis fields, and it's killing people, and it's American-funded, and, you know, like, stuff like that, and as a stoner, mm -hmm. you know, that's heavy stuff, but mm -hmm. I just... stuff you, you're curious about Right, and I thought, yeah. well, if these are the stoners and the potheads who have fried brains, how come they're so smart and informed? And then I decided one night... <laughs> I like these my, people. <laughs> my parents are gone one night, my friends came over, and uh, I never had beer or anything, and my friends came and brought some pills in her beer. It's oh just the worst kind. Yeah, and, uh, and they're like, let's drink, and I said, oh, okay, fine, I'll try Try alcohol. So we, I took a sip from the can. I was like, "Oh, this is horrible." They're like, "No, it's all right. Here, take a shot glass." So we poured beer into shot oh glasses, and I took shots of beer. <laughs> so now I was like, "This is gross. I don't like it." And they're like, "Okay, well, let's go hotbox the bathroom with what is known in the olden days as a gravity bucket bong, where you <laughs> fill an ice cream bucket with water." There's no ice cream, it's empty. <laughs> just water in a tub, and you take the top part of a pot bottle, and you like lift it out of the water, and the suction creates, oh God, and it I do pulls remember the that. bowl. I remember like, that. So it's like really? a totally like, MacGyver's <laughs> No, I remember so dudes in high school doing that. Yeah. There's this. no, nobody's making this product out of new <laughs> materials. You can't hipsterize this. It's no. totally old school. And, like uh, but we also had the hot water shower going for a Hawaiian hot the box, steam, or some yeah. people call it different okay. names. And we had a ghetto blaster running on batteries, you know, sitting in the bathroom nice and vibe. I said okay I'm gonna watch you guys smoke pot that's all I'm gonna do I want to see what and then you were high from the fumes. and well then I said <laughs> let me try <laughs> so I tried Past it that. tried it listened to the music it was techno on a cd burned off Napster like I'm feeling oh, the yes. time <laughs> I know the time so this is a, yeah my little mix of music and it was a wonderful experience the cannabis side of things I didn't care for the beer I mean I drink wine once in a while but I'm not much of a drinker but that started having me question everything mm -hmm. um, but in a dangerous way which is why I'm such an advocate for cannabis truth is because 
I was a teacher's pet. I believed everything I was told. Yeah. I realized they lied about pot. And then I thought, well, what else are they lying about? Mm. Maybe cocaine isn't so bad. And then there I am mm. in grade 11 doing cocaine. And when you look back at that and go, holy smokes, that's just a kid. But yeah. at the time, you feel you feel adult you're enough, more adult. Right? You're doing adult yeah. stuff at that age. Yeah. I mean, I, I still wasn't doing anything else. But I just remember, you know, I've also had trauma in my life. My father took his life when I was, before I turned nine. I've been through a lot of things in my world and you know I was on antidepressants in grade 12 until 2009 oh. and I got off of those by using cannabis instead and but you know I, I thought I was being lied to and I didn't trust authority and so I went from being a star student to skipping class and my parents and my principal and everybody was like we need to help you and I asked for help I admitted I had a problem so they said we'll send you to boarding school and so I did grade 12 in St. Michael's University School um, typically, they don't take people for one year, but I managed to pass the test, and I got rave reviews from my principal and everyone, and they kind of all just wanted to save me. And I graduated with honors, got accepted to post-secondary school. I, I did keep consuming cannabis and experimenting with other psychedelic drugs, mushrooms, and other things in grade 12 because they were less dangerous. But, you know, I don't, haven't done anything like that for a long mm -hmm. time. But definitely from the perspective of parents, teachers, and authority figures looking at me, they would say marijuana is dangerous and terrible. Look at how it took her down the Gateway. road. Yeah. Gateway into trouble. But yeah. for me, you know, that was their fault. That's authority's fault. Because when they lied about pot, it made you not trust the other warnings that were legitimate. So nowadays I go to these educational events and I say, you have to be honest with young people about cannabis. Because if you lie to them and they know you're lying, they mm. know that it doesn't increase crashing rates double the amount. Yeah. It doesn't, they know it's not worse than alcohol. They know it's not like tobacco smoke. They know this truth is out there. And if you're going to lie about it, they won't trust you on legitimate on warnings. Yeah. All the so walls are down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so cannabis, we have to be honest about it. But that terrifies a lot of groups for a lot of reasons mm -hmm. <laughs> what's your key message when you go to like a group of youths for example that criminalization causes far more harm to young people than cannabis ever has or will um that you know we talk a lot a lot of the hype right now about um legalization is we have to protect the kids mm -hmm. and it's all this discussion about criminalizing adult use in order to protect kids scare so scare it's, tactics. it's totally yeah. about terrifying parents and it's so unfair to like hit people where they're most sensitive is of course our concern about our children who, who yeah. doesn't want to protect our kids of mm -hmm. course we do so when they say that cannabis is a threat it, it makes me upset because young people are being put on amphetamines and other pharmaceutical yeah, drugs. Right. Antidepressants increase suicide rates by the 30 percent. You know, That's I was insane. on those. I had to get off of them. Um, alcohol is widely available, promoted as fruity, slushy drinks. It's like definitely appealing to young people and children, but they go nuts about pot, possibly, you know, a brownie attracting mm -hmm. a kid. And so all that hypocrisy. But, you know, it would be one thing if cannabis was equally dangerous to alcohol. And then I'd be like, okay, fine. You know, we've got to be careful. It's pretty bad. But cannabis is actually saving young people's lives. Yeah. Like the number one causes of death for young people, I think, are car crashes and suicide. These accidents and these deaths are caused in many parts by alcohol and other drugs mm -hmm. worsening their problems. So cannabis actually saves lives. And then you have all the studies about children and babies with epilepsy who are suffering and dying and cannabis improves their health and yeah. saves their lives. And so you hear all this, protect the kids from cannabis. And it's like, no, the kids need cannabis actually. And even all this hysteria about pregnancy and, and using cannabis while pregnant. Well, there's a lot of research into that, and it's not dangerous. Like, we produce cannabinoids in our breast milk. It's natural. Right. Our bodies have cannabinoid receptors. Cannabis-using parents often have the healthiest kids that I've ever met. And it's 
scary to have to say these truths because it sounds so insane. Mm -hmm. When I go back to like when I was in high school and against pot, I remember having to take baby steps in my own understanding and I have to be considerate of that for the rest of society because at first I was saying, well, we need to legalize pot because pot's wonderful. Cannabis does all these great things. It shouldn't be illegal, but we should arrest all the other drug junkies and stuff. You know, so my mentality was pro-cannabis, but other drugs are bad. Use the law to go after them. And then I started to realize, no, prohibition as a policy is bad. It's the prohibition of cannabis that's creating problems. Um, prohibition of other drugs creates problems. So, no, we need to end all drug prohibition. And, you know, going down that path, it's a lot of people aren't there yet. They don't understand yeah. the arguments behind it. And it takes a lot of time to give that context. So, you know, when you have an ordinary person on the street and they're walking by and you stop them and she's with her kid and you say, what have you heard about pot? And she might say, well, I heard it will make my child go insane and make them schizophrenic mm -hmm. and psychotic and that they'll get in a car accident and I don't want it anywhere near. And I'm thinking, oh, if only you knew that that cannabis could help your young person and that cannabis users are healthier, well-adjusted, reduced obesity rates, reduced alcohol use, reduced opioid use. I mean, cannabis users are happier, healthier, smarter people, mm -hmm. and yet it's the opposite. I mean, they've been told cannabis causes cancer. Well, cannabinoids actually kill cancer cells. Yep, um, yeah. You know, cannabis will drive you crazy. Actually, cannabis protects brain cells and grows brain cells and prevents Alzheimer's. So, you know, and then the, all, all, everything that people have been told about cannabis is the opposite. So it's really hard to just jump out there and be like, here's the cannabis truth. It's just too insane. It's too overwhelming. It's like yeah. flat earth theory stuff. Yes. You know, it's just like, that's impossible. How could it be such a good, wonderful thing that can save lives and save the world and reverse climate change with hemp houses, removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. I mean, in every which way, cannabis could save our planet. And that is exactly why it's illegal. It <laughs> fucking telling the truth yeah. dot com. Jody Emery. Wow. Yeah. Baboon. I just can't help it. There's so, there's so much to say. We could go on for days But or that's years. the truth. <laughs> that sure. is exactly why it's illegal. Well, it's because it's a plant. Alcohol industry, threatened. Pharmaceutical industry, threatened oil industry, which is dependent on the war industry. These are all companies. Educational structure, yeah. and they, government yeah. system, like Healthcare. democracy. Every, you question yeah. all of it. And that's why cannabis it's, is it's so illuminating. Neat. It's because as soon as cannabis gets into these things, it exposes mm -hmm. how broken it is. It's the like, light. So yeah. we go to the medical system and the doctors are all, oh, no, we don't know what to do with marijuana because it doesn't have a DIN number and it hasn't gone through testing. And it's like you're handing out drugs like candy that have gone through testing and the commercials tell us they will hurt you and kill yeah. you in kill so you. many ways. Kill you also don't softly. know if they work, right? They don't yep. even know. They say, they here, know. try this. It's probably uh, not going to work. I think we're seeing from the U.S. that it's not working. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're terrified because the medical system is thinking, well, what happens when human beings are happy and healthy and well-adjusted? Like, yeah, they wh don't. what happens when you don't need There's to give no treatment industry. for... Right, so you threaten the pharmaceutical industry, the doctor, healthcare industry, just the idea of personalized medicine is this will upend the entire system. Like I said, they give you a pill and a certain dose of a certain milligram and say, mm -hmm. this should do this. We know it won't, but take it anyway. Take this for the side effects and this mm -hmm. for those side effects. And so they give you all this stuff and then they still go, oh, but cannabis, we don't know how it works. We're unsure. And then the Ontario doctors just came out and said cannabis is so dangerous and full of threats and risks and it's so scary stay away from it and I'm just going you're the guys responsible for the opioid crisis hello yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are the ones handing out the painkillers they're the puppeteers right and so they're threatened and then when you think about 
when did marijuana become popular and when did the drug war have to come in? 60s, 70s, 80s is when people started using cannabis and saying, you know what, I don't think we should be killing people just because they're a different skin color in a different country. Mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe we shouldn't be arresting our poor and marginalized people. Hey, maybe shouldn't, if we think outside the box, maybe we could use all those policing budgets for healthcare instead. And like, and you start becoming more tolerant and peaceful and thinking outside the box. And again, very much why it's illegal because the military industrial complex, the prison complex, yeah. the criminal justice system, the pharmaceutical industry, the alcohol industry, everything and everyone who hurts you and kills you needs cannabis to be illegal. Mm -hmm. And so and that's society, you just basically describe societal construct right <laughs> and it's like yeah it's upsetting the whole system yep. and even the way that the government's like okay we're gonna sell pot and regulate it let's yep. try and fit it into the system of these stores Put and, it these in rules. The and then cannabis yep. comes along and says you can't do that to me it's not gonna work i'm not gonna fit your mold i'm already growing i'm, I'm already out there out, I'm, I'm figuring yeah. out how to grow i never right. thought i would but oh, i have a beautiful. friend who grows according to the moon cycle i'm like i love yes. you yes that's fantastic i actually wrote an article or edited an article for cannabis culture magazine when we printed it it was the lunar moon cycle because it's harvesting. a female flower oh right? yeah absolutely and we're all attuned yeah yeah that was one of that's a fun memory of our old magazine days we used to actually do the print and we would edit the pages and ship them off in envelopes old school style oh, that was, uh, yeah from 2004 to 2009 that was my job editor at cannabis culture and then mark my husband mark emery knew that he was going to be going to u.s prison to serve five years on a plea deal where he was facing life in prison for selling seeds to finance legalization so we knew he was going away uh, the 2008 economic hit just hit everybody so the mm -hmm. magazine industry just sunk it, it, was, uh, it was brutal I, yeah. and I'm we were trying really hard well. to like put out a magazine then you see it on the stands two months later and then the news is yeah. irrelevant because those two months went by and yeah. meanwhile our website was suffering and so we're like we got to get on with this website thing it's 2009 we should probably focus on yeah. the internet Smart. yeah maybe leave it there <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is the way forward so I heard. where do you think you guys will go next. Where, like, what is up next for you guys? And when rec is legal later this year, whenever that is. Well, it's so difficult to try and figure out where to go and how because the industry has been focused on the companies setting up to grow. And we've never been a growing company. I'm not a cannabis grower myself. So that's not our focus. What we, what cannabis culture as a brand represents is access. And that's access to information access to the seeds that Mark mm -hmm. used to sell. Um, you know, cannabis culture was started in 1994, so next year, 2019, our legalization year, uh, will be 25 years of cannabis culture mm -hmm. incredible. doing activism. And it's, it is incredible, because I was starting grade four in 94. <laughs> <laughs> and like Mark is out there already doing, freshies. you know, books and magazines and printed materials about cannabis are illegal and still illegal under section 462.2 of the criminal code. Um, so mag like High Times magazine is still illegal, but you don't wow. get arrested for okay. it. Yeah. So these laws that still exist, Mark would challenge them by selling the books and magazines and going to court and uh, Sunday shopping in Ontario. He helped challenge those laws long, long ago. Okay, and, so he's always been the change yep. maker? Yep. Like what propelled him was just he smoked? Um, when he was a young guy, he was actually kind of NDP leaning and then he read um, Ayn Rand books and then yeah. he got into the libertarian side of thing and became yep. a business person but said you need business to make money money for activism like no cause can exist without money money is needed and business is a good way to make money so he opened up his bookstore 
and uh, in London, Ontario, and he opened on a Sunday when it was illegal to, I and see. would say like, "Well, I'm not selling anything. I'm giving away books." And then he'd get <laughs> and still get arrested. And his first time in jail was three days in jail for refusing to close on a Sunday. And oh then he God. brought in. It's always those stupid things. <laughs> it's so stupid. And then music was illegal. Obscene music, rap music was illegal in Canada. So Mark yeah. brought in two live crew rap albums and I bought a newspaper it. ad and said, yeah, "Come buy did. this music. Come down Good. to my store, and I'm breaking the law." And he would advertise it to challenge the law. So he's always been about break the law to challenge the law to change the law and he's certainly done a lot of that um I did not while he was in prison you know he got arrested for the seed sales in 2005 like right after I showed up in 2004 so most of our time together was spent going through court and extradition mm -hmm. facing the U.S. government and all that and it was a struggle because we didn't have dispensaries we didn't sell weed we didn't sell seeds and so it was a head shop with a little vapor lounge and that's what I took over when Mark got extradited in May 2010 so while he was gone for four and a half years I ran our little business and it was you know I ran for office too a couple yeah. of times I still so marched cool. and protested Good and for went you. everywhere I could. And um, so it was a very busy, difficult time. But for us, it was about surviving and Mark getting home. So when he got home, we had to figure out where are we going to go now? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. We've been about, we're not a dispensary because a lot of medical experts and medical groups are doing that. Um, we've been all about medical access. Mark would sell seeds or give seeds to patients well, for that's free. That's why people come to you, yeah, and he ultimately. Was, yeah, that yeah, he's always been a powerhouse of activism. Yeah. And but we thought we can't really do medical dispensaries because that's not our thing. But, you know, it's going to be legal recreationally. Trudeau supported dispensaries when he was in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. um, the task force was going to suggest dispensaries be allowed. So we thought, why don't we set up a adult use recreational storefront model? You know, we, we let the dispensaries do the medical thing mm -hmm. so that they don't get accused of like being shady and just trying to sell it under the guise of medical. Let them be medical. Let us handle open Rack. counter, over the yeah. counter sales, no mm -hmm. need to sign up or leave your info. And so we came up with this model of franchising because we didn't have money, but we have a brand that's very powerful, cannabis yeah. culture. And so this brand and vehicle we thought could help locals in their own city open up their own store be their own business owner under a brand that's recognized for activism and access and that empowerment and money would yeah we could empower them have local cannabis available in those stores have um, the money going back towards cannabis culture corporate that we could then spend it on the activism efforts that we want to do advertising campaigns everything that Mark always did. It was always about making money to finance the movement. Um, but in these interesting times right now, you know, we're not growing pot. We're not a licensed producer. Um, we don't have stores across Canada anymore. There's just a couple in Vancouver, and even those are at risk. So we're trying to find our way in this weird pot purgatory where legalization is being promised, and we helped make that possible. But we're not in position to be able to take part. We don't have the money for it. I have a $195,000 fine for my own criminal conviction. Um, I took a plea deal for two years probation and this big fine. Got 17 people's 180 charges thrown out. That's nice. They got to go home. Mm -hmm. um, our lawyer, Jack Lloyd, is amazing. He's helping a lot of people, but I had to take this punishment because I couldn't afford to keep fighting it out. And even if I challenged my case, it's under the old pot laws, and we're looking at new yeah. Cannabis Act laws coming into place. So they so. suck you dry. Yes, and it and it's it's very difficult because I see so much excitement about business. It's all about business and deals and money and stock prices. And when I got arrested yeah. and strip searched on International Women's Day last year, Stop. you know, like then double strip searched while I was in their custody and like all these violations. And I, and I remember that's like the first time I lost my ability to give consent. And I and I asked mm -hmm. my lawyer afterwards. I'm like, you know, I did what they told me when I, they tell you to take off your clothes. But what if I had said no? What happens? Do they like t pin you down and 
tear mm-hmm. off your clothes and he didn't really answer he just gave me wide eyes like you're in the custody of the government like they yeah that basically if I had tried to f- say no they would just sexually assault me and it was sexual assault just even when you actually comply and you have to go through that and like the second time because the first time you just take off your top and then you put on your shirt and they take your bra away and you take off your bottoms and you squat and cough and then like you know you're naked and we do all that and I acted all tough about it that's, and then that's after, test one that's test one so that was the night I got arrested and they didn't let us call our lawyers because they were waiting for the next day to start so they could arrest the other people in our case and do all the raids that were being coordinated across Canada wow. so then I went up to the courtroom the next morning after a long miserable night and our lawyer said we're really sorry but they just arrested your friends who are in the courtroom and they were arrested live on TV as part of this case and you can't get out today we have to come back tomorrow so at that point you have to go to maximum security like real prison Um, before that you're just in police custody underground in the cop cells but then you have to get into those court transport vehicles you see them around town horrible 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 thing like putting people in these little tiny metal boxes handcuffed to each other and like tossed around for an hour driving up there and so you know we get out at the prison at Milton uh, Vanier Women's Prison it's called and you know I've been in custody the whole time handcuffed the whole time and we go to get strip searched again and I said well that's odd okay well top first then bottom right and she's like no everything all at once so then you just have to like stand there and strip completely naked in front of them and squat and cough and I'm going this is obscene and I'm in a cell with a bunch of girls and there's blood on the toilet paper and the toilet is like open to all and so you know just oh everything gosh. about it was so upsetting and violating uh, but, and again so, yeah, and, and just it, keep doing yeah. that and at the time it was like I was all, in my head I never felt afraid I didn't feel upset it was mostly like god this is taking so much time but I know I'm getting out and I know that there's media and I know we've got lawyers and I know everybody's ready to, l- to help us and this is just a big deal I've got to get through it it was only like after that, and maybe even months after that, that I started realizing I was had PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually found, figured it, because I, I simply Googled PTSD after a police arrest, because um, I was having a lot of difficulties emotionally and mentally, just, you know, dealing with all these business people and cops getting into the business while I was still on bail and terrified every day I might get rearrested. And, uh, and you as know, a female. Yeah, and, and to think, like, I didn't help. I didn't hurt anybody. I helped a lot of people. And here I am being violated. And I'm just one of many people like the number. I'll never forget the people I met. The first girl I met who was arrested and she's busted for selling drugs. And she said, I'm a single mother and this is all I can do to make money. And I need to feed my babies and keep them warm. So I sell drugs to people who want them. And then what do they do? The government, they come and arrest me. They spend money to arrest me. They put my kids in foster care. So they're giving eight grand a month to some stranger to look after my babies. When if I had been given that eight grand a month, imagine what I could have done to look after them. I wouldn't be selling the drugs. Look what they're doing to us. And I'm just like, that's awful. And then I remember a young black girl and she was there in the jail with me and she's just freaking out and going, oh my God, my boyfriend, my everyone told me to stay away from him. Everyone told me I'm going to school for nursing. I'm going to get deported. What's going to happen to me? And she was just freaking out. And I was, you know, so I think of those people and I'm like, I got international media waiting for me to get out. Um, who do they have, you know? And so like that, that sort of stuff makes me really sad. And when I think of all the people and especially the women and, and marginalized amongst us, our fellow citizens, you know, that's, 
there's so many reasons why I'm an activist, and it's definitely not to be a pot seller, because we didn't even start selling mm -hmm. pot through dispensaries till April 2016, and even then that was 10 months before I got arrested. I haven't done that since. So in this transition time, I'm trying to remain focused on the activism message mm -hmm. that we're supposed to be legalizing it to protect people's civil liberties, to undo this harm. Like, this is a drug war. It's not, marijuana isn't new. It wasn't invented by men in suits. It's been around for it's all of humankind history. And in recent decades, we've seen a massive civil liberties war waged. Like, even yesterday, the Supreme Court of Canada agreed and upheld a BC Superior Court decision that the smell of marijuana is enough to give cop reason to search you and arrest you without a warrant. No. So it's like so it's Shit. like when you think of this, it's like cannabis has been used as a reason to violate people's yeah. civil liberties and freedoms and rights light. over and yeah. over and over mm -hmm. again constantly. And there's a reason they're trying so hard to keep to not let it be fully legal. Hundred yeah. percent. So we're Preach. trying to find a way to get legal and sell our pot legally, but there's you know, certain provinces won't let you. So Ontario's kind of a write off unless yeah. we can do lounges here. I'd love to do lounges. We've done that since 2006. So we've got a long history of using consumption spaces to bring people together. Um, but it's still very risky here. And there's more crackdowns promised, big mm -hmm. budgets being promised to go after all those who are unlicensed and unregulated. But as California and other states have shown, if you overregulate it, you can't, you, you, you have to legalize what already exists. You can't force consumers to go to the, a newly created market that's designed and approved by the government. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't switch that much buying power. The current industry already exists, and it's peaceful, and it's what needs to be legalized, but the government's trying to replace it and yeah, to you eliminate have to play it. With the, with the wave, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to show that we're good, decent people and we deserve a role in this they're new industry. They're also, sh they're showing you, they're really using you as a, as a case study. They're yeah. being extra hard on you. They're Martha Stewarting you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right? scary. It is scary because, I, again, I have to do all this activism and speak out and say the truth. And I remember in January, you know. so careful. It, yeah, it was... Because last year was really tough for me. Like I said, I recognized I had PTSD after reading about... Uh, it's an actress. I think her name is Shailene Woodsley or something. Yeah. Like that. She, I can't She's on Big Little Lies. And I think she went down to the Waters Life protest and Standing mm -hmm. Rock. She did, she, at Standing Rock. And yeah. got arrested. And I yeah. read her report about how the emotions she was going through and how it affected her. And that's when I was like, okay, I've got arrest, PTSD. Um, she got it, I've got it, I recognize that, and I need to come to terms with that. But I had to let go of living in fear and being afraid, and it was in January I met with uh, another woman uh, who works with Niche and Botanique magazine, um, and I've known her for many years, and she sat down with me and said, Jody, like the new industry, because she's deeply involved with the government and the legal industry side, and she's like, it makes me so sad when I mention your name and people roll their eyes because they think you're just the angry activist who yells at the police. Angry and goddess. I, and they're like, I mean, and she's like, I know you're not that. I know you're so much more. Like you're inspiring to people and all that. But it's it's sad for me now that this last year has been you being very upset and very negative. And I had to explain, of course, why. <laughs> you know, yeah. going through what I've been through. Um, but I also saw her point that, you know, after a while. People don't want to hear about, oh, how hard it's been and, oh, we've been so hard done by. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you can respect someone who's been through like a Holocaust survivor or someone who escaped Chile during, the, you know, like there are people who've been through horrific, terrible things and we respect and admire them for what they've endured. But we cannot live a life where every day we sit and go over and over the unfairness and awfulness and horrors of what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, all right, Aunt Jody, we know that you've been through some tough times. 
but you're not really helping anyone feel better. Like we don't, even if what you're saying is true, nobody wants to be around that all the time. And it's also tough for people. They want a message they can identify with. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they're comfortable and they're like, why are you so upset? Like, why don't you just invest in pot stocks? You'll be fine. I'm like, well, if I had the money to invest, I don't know if I'd put it there. Your anger can fuel your art or it can fuel something more self-destructive, right? So it's obviously now fueling your power. And feeling your message and your voice. Well, she was reminding me that you know this is Th- that this you, is you have to be more positive. Jody. <laughs> well, she was just saying, so you know, Jody, you've been and all these years. Mark was in prison and through very hard times. She's like, you're always upbeat. You're always smiling. You're always. Yeah, the you government have, you politicians were willing energy. to engage. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was more relatable and workable. But when I'm hurt and wounded and crying and in pain and suffering, nobody really wants to be around that. Um, so I heard that perspective. And then I said, okay, that's right. I'm going to drop all the upset and hurt that I feel. I'm over it. I made my deal. Time to be positive. And then I started focusing on just a fully upbeat message. Like, hey, everybody, we still have opportunities. You know, my, one of my slogans is take what you can get and always ask for more. You know, like women, we have the right to vote, but we don't have equal pay. You know, men, uh, we have a black president in the U.S. at one point, but it sure isn't all okay down there on that issue. So like you look at these issues and you say, well, with every social justice or liberty issue, you take what you can get and you always ask for more. And so I started really hammering away at this whole, you know, well, the government, you know, maybe they're just making a mistake and we can help them and reach out to them and make it better. And I tried being really positive for a while. Uh, and then some people are like, Jody, like, you, you got to be realistic too, though. Like, what you were saying, all those bad, terrible, negative things, those are important True. messages. And then I started seeing all the lawyers. I follow a lot of lawyers on Twitter and they follow me back. And I started seeing all these legal groups and, the, and lawyer magazines and they're all starting to freak out about the horrible legislation and all, and they start warning everybody about the terrible things that I'd been complaining about for the last year and told to shut up about because you don't mm-hmm. want to. So it was like this weird, you got to be honest and truthful and the truth is not pretty, but you've got to be optimistic and inspiring. And that means that even if what we want doesn't come to pass, at least we vocalized what it was we described what it is and we can go to bed at night being like yeah I did what I could you know sometimes the big fist of authority is beating you down and you're the passive person being beaten so naturally there's an inequal force there the big bad guy hurts the little peaceful guy Um, but you can always hope that at least people see that unfairness and they see that they see who the bully is they see who the oppressor is and they see who the victim is and at least that knowledge, you know, it's it's like the original book by Jack Herrera, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. You know, when Mark discovered that that book was illegal, that was what really kick-started his mm-hmm. campaign for cannabis activism. He's like, how can they ban a book about truth? How can a, a book about marijuana get you a $10,000 fine when uh, getting arrested for pot only gets you a $1,000 fine? Like, why is the punishment for the truth about pot more than pot itself? Well, because when The Emperor Wears No Clothes, it's all about saying, hey, look at that. That's BS. It's not true. It's not real. And everyone's pretending it is, but I'm going to call it like I see it. And then everyone else goes, oh, shoot. We all know that it's not true. So that's what cannabis is. It's basically calling out the government and calling out the authority that exists and trying to share the truth. And that is such a threat to the powers that be. And that's why, you know, activism... Business is hard. Activism is hard. Trying to do both is really, really hard. Um, and it definitely, uh, it's tough days sometimes, depending on the day and what news came out. It's uh, like yesterday, today, right now, the BC government's putting out their regulations and we know that they're going to be announcing a new drug czar to crack down on unauthorized cannabis. And that's really scary for 
people in BC and all across Canada who thought that's what was going to be legalized. You know, they're yeah. I like to say they're illegalizing marijuana because mm. there's new criminal laws or prohibition 2.0 or yeah. fake legalization. Um, it's a mess. It's it's a mess. But, it's but do you try? Do you try to get into the political side of, th of things oh, again? Are you guys going to run again? Well, Can you run again? After I got arrested in March 2017, you know, I was on part of my bail conditions required me to live in Toronto, which is kind of funny because I always wanted to live in Toronto. And I was like, oh, by order of the court. Okay. <laughs> I get to live in the city. Um, but I had to make use of my time and we didn't have our businesses. The stores were shut down. So I was focused fully on activism. I was completely banned from work. Um, and so the first thing I did was on May 26th, I held a rally at City Hall asking for an end to dispensary raids, and it was one year after the Project Claudia raids. And then I gave a letter to the mayor, and the city councillor came out on live TV. There's, I managed to get some media out, and uh, came and accepted the letter, so I did that activism. And then the Toronto City Licensing Committee was hearing about dispensaries, so I applied to testify or give deposition, I think it's called, to that. Got accepted, went and said my piece, talked about why they need to allow dispensaries. We didn't win, but you know, <laughs> you never really do with government. Um, and then I, after that, Mark and I applied or were invited by Don Davies of the NDP to testify to the House of Commons Standing Committee on Health. And that's basically our government when they were looking at Bill C-45 last year. So it was September, I think, when we got to go and testify to the House of Commons. And that was pretty exciting, a nice experience. Um, I, I pulled out a joint in the middle of my <laughs> yes, testimony. Yes, she I did. Didn't even, I didn't even think about it until part way through. So I was sitting there and I was like citing off all these studies and just like, you can find the video online. It felt really good, like going in with the sword of truth and just like <laughs> cutting down the lies left, right and center. Love but that. then there was a certain point where I was like, oh right, I always carry around pre-rolled joints with me. And I have a legal license because after I got arrested, I signed up with a doctor to get Health Canada approval so yeah. I can not be violating my bail. So if I had a cop come up to me I with a joint. I was going to say, the irony that you need <laughs> the flower that you got yeah. arrested for. That I had to go join a company absurd. that's in the system that had us arrested. Oh, that's the all systemic that sort of bullshit <laughs> yeah. that so we're trying to break uh, down, Thankfully, right? though, I was like, well, at least that little piece of paper gives me permission to have this joint legally. So I reach in my bag and I pull out the joint and I hold it up. I'm like, this is a joint. This is what we're here to talk about. This is cannabis. I just want to be like, we should look at this. And that's, I got to give a little side story that's kind of ironic. Back in 2011, I was invited to Washington State by uh, the state representative, Mary Lou Dickerson, to testify to the Ways and Means Committee about how legalization is a good thing. This is before Initiative 502, the official Washington one that passed. So this bill earlier was like at the end of a session. It didn't pass, but I got invited down and I was testifying alongside my husband's prosecutor, John McKay, the Western I District of Washington. Yeah. And he had changed sides and decided to promote legalization, but he was quite shocked to meet me there and was so awkward and uncomfortable. And I was very nice to him and thanked him for his work. And he was so impressed that we later held a national press conference in BC with the BC Attorney General. But that statement that I made at that Washington State was on video. And yeah. I get a phone call in 2012 or 13 saying, Jody, this is Mike Clattenburg of the Trailer Park Boys. And I was like, oh, hi. He's like, so listen, I'm making a new movie. It's called Trailer Park Boys 3. Don't legalize it. And I want you to appear as yourself in it. I've actually already written you into the <laughs> script. I have this whole thing where the Senate is discussing legalization, and I want you there testifying, because I saw a video of you, and I wrote what you said into my script, and I was wondering if you want to play yourself. And I was like, oh, absolutely. Hell, hell yeah, so I went yeah. out to Halifax, did the video. You can find it online, just like on YouTube. It's Jody Emery Ottawa. Just search that. I think you can find the clip. 
and it's pretty funny. So I go there and film, and I like in the movie, I stand up, I say my statement, I sit down, and then Ricky and Bubbles are there, and they interrupt, and Ricky's <laughs> like, "This isn't legalization. Your government, you're messing it all up." And then he pulls out a big bag of weed and goes up to the senators. He's like, "This is what we're here to talk about." So I throw <laughs> weed at them, and it's such a hilarious scene, right? So, so anyway, so that that movie comes out, haha, it's funny. And then I go in February 2016 to the Canadian. Uh, parliament for the Liberal Senate Forum on Legalization. And I stand up and I'm talking to senators and I'm talking about legalization at the Senate. And then I thought, this is funny. This is life imitating art that imitated life yeah. in that movie. So I texted Mike Clattenberg. I'm like, look, I was actually testifying to senators about legalization That's in Ottawa, incredible. like your movie. It's crazy. And then, <laughs> and then when I was in the House of Commons just last September and I pulled out that joint, it was only after the fact. I was like, Oh, wait, I just pulled a Ricky. I was like, <laughs> here, this is what we're here to talk about. You know, like, look at bam, the weed. Bam. Here it is. And I remember Vice News took a picture of that. I was like, Jody Emery just pulled a joint out at the House of Commons. <laughs> like, yeah, that made news. Hilarious. Amazing. And it's great it because that's what we're there to talk about. So I did it's that like activism. The, flower, the absurdity great. of it all. It's just, it's, and it's actually, it saves lives. That's what gets me even more. Like, if it was benign, like these flowers in this beautiful bouquet, normal flowers on the table here then, you yeah. know, it's crazy. That shouldn't be illegal. People shouldn't go to jail for that. But if those flowers, like, you know, prevented Alzheimer's and protected yeah. brains from booze, drinking damage, and, you know, prevented epileptic seizures in babies, that really, really shouldn't be illegal. So yeah. there's this extra motivation to I explain what cannabis really is. And so with my activism, you know, I also testified to the Ontario Justice Committee about the driving and the smoking mm -hmm. concerns that they have. So, you know, I've... Oh, and I went to the Toronto Police Services Board, which was pretty funny because I post they, arrest. <laughs> post yeah. arrest. Oh, that's so this was last like October. It was October, <laughs> and they were discussing marijuana arrests because a former mayor has had been talking about how carding and all of that in Toronto had led to disproportionate. Yeah. So I went and applied, and I signed up thinking there's no way they're going to let me. And I got the email saying, sure, come on down. And I was like, okay. So I go to the Toronto police station where the protest had happened before, where my investigation began. And I'm in that room, and I'm looking around and going, holy smokes, there's a lot of cops in here. And I was like, oh, right. And the police chief and the mayor, they're both <laughs> on the board. And they're both the ones that I totally humiliated at the press conference when I you know, took over at the rally in Project Claudia. Anyway, so I... And that they have to continue to listen and, to and you. So, and I got to, to sit to at the head of the table with all of them lined up down the side and all the cops on the one side and all the media on the other. And I got my five minutes and I sat down. And But, you know, at that meeting, they had just been talking beforehand about how police in Toronto are uh, experiencing a lot of mental distress, a lot of mental health issues, I a lot bet. of trauma. They said suicides are up in Toronto, just mm -hmm. of normal people jumping off buildings, but even first responders having to respond. Mm -hmm. Like, there's all these horrible things that police have to do, and I don't hate cops. Like, they do important work. I hate that these laws force them to do bad work. Yeah. Um, and big props to the cop in that horrible incident here, showing On how Monday, it's done. Yeah, what I was a, just that's a real great that. officer. But so these Toronto police are so distressed, and I sat at that table when I was about to speak, and I looked around and I said you here's an weed. idea <laughs> I yeah. said here's an idea weed. all you all of you your next dispensary raid budgets because they're like millions of dollars to do I said why don't you take your next few dispensary raids and transfer transfer all that money towards mental health care for your officers yeah like mm -hmm. what if that dispensary raid money went to a mental health for officers fund just just saying Thanks you know so put those thoughts out there but you know at the end of it they're like oh, does anyone have any questions 
I could hear a pin drop, oh not a God. thing. Like, nobody wanted to say a thing. So I'm like, okay, thank you. And then got up and got out oh <laughs> as God. fast as I could. Good <laughs> but, for you. But, you know, so when, like, my activism, it's still going. I still have to do all of this. I still have to speak out. But Every day. It sounds like you're a change agent on the it, daily. Yeah, it's constant. Yeah. It's constant. And, you know, sometimes... Like I said, I sometimes wonder if I shouldn't say a certain thing or maybe I shouldn't post that news story or maybe I shouldn't say something pointing out that the police profit from prohibition a lot. You know, I get actually nervous and then I realize, you know, that's what it means to have courage or to be brave. It means that there's reason to be afraid and that's why it matters to take a stand. Uh, if there's reason to be afraid, that's good reason to take a stand. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of scary. Again, I'm still always paranoid. The cops were following me around physically and on my phone and everywhere for a very long time. And so I'm still unnerved about Another that. Another violation. Right. And to have that, you know, going through my apartment and tearing apart all my things and stuff. Yeah, you must and it's ask just yourself, like, is it worth it? But then... You right. have those interactions I, in the community and realize right. That I realize it is. what else would I do? Yeah, <laughs> what else you're like I'm screwed could I now. Really go you know my face. Do, yeah, you know I my go name. Do anything else? I don't know. I don't Are think you so. Emery? Right, and, yes. I, like, and I do. I get that a lot, and that's what keeps me going. Is people actually thanking us so much and sincerely, and like saying, you know, that we made a difference. We helped improve their lives or save their lives. I, st I still get messages about that all the time, and that's why this is so. You know, if I was just a gangster drug queen pin or something you know like if i was just like a badass like cartel I lady or something like can i wouldn't you know i wouldn't be so upset because i'd just be cashing in and profiteering but i care about this i care about this because i remember the kids in the prison in the u.s i remember the people who have died uh, you know as medical patients i i remember the emails i get from people like this one guy who, you know, he wrote me, it was, it's a story I can't forget for some reason, but he had a dog, his pet dog that he grew up with, and he loved this dog, and they were out hiking in the mountains, and his dog fell over the edge of a cliff, mm. and he couldn't save him, and he could hear the dog crying and crying over the edge of the cliff, and he said this trauma haunted him. He's a professional chef, worked at some restaurants in Vancouver, and he wrote me this message out of nowhere, just being like, I need to let you know that the cannabis culture dispensaries have helped save me. Because uh, if I, I, my dog died, I can't get over it. I have flashbacks. I can't sleep. I'm so traumatized. That was my baby. I can't believe I lost her. And, and, and the only thing, my girlfriend suggested, maybe use cannabis. I've heard cannabis could help. So I went to Davie Street Dispensary. I got cannabis. It helped me enough to get back to work. I can finally get back to work and pay my bills, and I can get through the night sleeping, and I just need you to know that, like, you guys saved my life. I'm like, that sort of story, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing, because it's like, we, that, that was somebody who was actually helped, and to think mm -hmm. that our crew and our team and our people who provide that sort of help, that were demonized and criminalized and smeared in the news and called gangsters and criminals and... You know, but we're actually saving lives, and there's so many weird emotions. And one more story I always remember is being at a restaurant, and the waiter, he says, Jody Emery, oh, I'm so nice to meet you. You know what? My son is going to be reading about you in the history books. And he's no going to be, and he said, no, no doubt. But he says, and he's going to be going to school and university through the pot stock money that I made, thanks awesome. to all your Good work. So I'm like, this is an interesting take. So the companies that lobbied for my arrest and dispensary raids, um, a lot of Canadians have invested into these companies, and a lot of the people have made money. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a weird compliment, a because weird on the one hand, lining. it's like, 
Yeah. yeah, I'm like, okay, well, it's good. That's awesome. You actually did make, like he said, he bought stock. He made enough money that in the increase, he sold his stock. He took that money. He put it in an account. It's waiting there for his son to go to university. That's awesome. I can't be against that. And like the way that he was like, he's going to read about you in history books, bought with that money from the pot stock sales. And I'm going, they arrested I'm like, you with. That's exactly. I'm like, okay, those stock values did go up when I got arrested. So I guess I helped in a little bit. Yeah, send your like, son to school. Is a I don't crazy know. Place. So these are very strange times because I can't hate that. I can't yeah. be upset about that. That's a good news story. But that's the weed talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the positive pot perspective. Pro pop positivity spin. <laughs> positivity. Yeah. What um what role do you think women can play in cannabis? Yeah, you that's touched what I was going to ask. Female like obviously this this is like you know, you're the female crusader, you know, and women are going to change the world hopefully through this, right? And and what what message would you give all of us beside beyond just standing up and being like more open and willing to share our cannabis use and the benefits that it brings to our lives um, if we have the opportunity, right? Well, not yeah. everybody does. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of women probably need cannabis and can't access it. But I remember a couple of years ago, a lot of the conversation was about women trying to get into the cannabis scene. And, you know, Women Grow had been really big. So there was actually a lot of attention going into how a lot of the new cannabis businesses were started and run by women and how that was fantastic. But as we've seen in the last year or two, um, the big, big companies, they buy up the little guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. And oftentimes those big companies are the same old Dudes, yep, fat same dudes. old white haired dudes. Nothing against the They're guys like with white hair. Viagra. Some of them are cool, but <laughs> but I'm just saying like this. You know, there's a there's a grass ceiling happening, yeah, yeah. right? There's and it's and it's holding people down while others benefit. So in some of my earlier speeches about cannabis and women, I would talk about how, you know. Women in any movement have often been the tipping point. Like when they get on board with any sort of campaign or cause, that's when like you can win. So there's always politician parties aiming for the soccer mom demographic because mm -hmm. they know that especially mothers are especially passionate and powerful and they give a damn. And it's so all marketing brands yeah, go after. And that's the absolutely. And women have the money and they make yep. they do spending. And so a lot of power is in the hands of women. And I would say that we have that power um, because. <laughs> well, I, I got a bit of flack, and it's very interesting with the whole um, say it, femininity. Say it. Well, because they said that women are more feminine and have more emotional capacity, and therefore we can appeal to people on a more emotional basis and not emotional hysterical, like women are crazy and PMSing yeah. and can't, but like emotional as in that's a... A, a, a emotional story. intelligence right yeah. and, and you yeah. can hit home with people and you can connect with people and there's more of that sort of more empathy yes and so that's sort of that's it to our advantage but some women would be like well now you're just stereotyping women as like delicate feminine creatures and oh, yeah. I'm like no no it's like some of us are, some of us aren't. Some men are very feminine and delicate. I mean, we're not saying yeah. it's not like a... No, I'm saying we're magic, bitch. Right. Why, yeah, like, why can't we be both? Why right. can't we be powerful and feminine? Right. And, um, you know, like, why... A man told me yesterday I wasn't feminine. I, I was oh like, I literally was like, bye, Excuse Felipe. Me? Yeah, <laughs> That's crazy. Like, or it's so no, weird. he said I wasn't delicate. No, oh, you don't geez. need to be delicate. <laughs> why do you have to be delicate? So, and that's oh. like a, a, a weird thing about all this woman talk, too. Like, I... 
I used to wear high heels nonstop for 10 yeah. years. All I wore was skirts and high heels. Okay, the boots you wore here today are fabulous. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you were <laughs> chic like, delicious. That's like, that's like my little boot boot thing. But for the last like two or three years, I discovered jeans and real boots, like flat shoed, oh, flat yeah. shoes, like, and that's comfortable. So it's harder to go back to high heels. But I just remember posting a picture of a high heel on International Women's Day and all these women, not a lot of them, but a lot of them got really mad at me yeah. and saying, you know, that's a symbol of oppression and how dare you promote something that's used to oppress women. And I was like, first of all, it makes me feel more powerful. It makes me feel more in charge of myself and capable and I like how I feel and, and no one's look. forcing me. Yeah. So like, in fact, it's you fellow women who are shaming me for my choices now. Yeah. So it's like this weird... I, I, I'm, I don't know, I, the whole feminism and all that stuff, it's, it's an interesting time. And I'm a victim of sexual assault numerous occasions. Like, I'm, I'm with our women. We've been oppressed. We've been screwed over. We've been ignored. We've been undermined. I mean, all of that is true. But I still believe in femininity. I believe that we have a power in that sense, in that we can be persuasive, that we, you know, one of my earlier quotes from long ago, 2005, I was interviewed and they said, well, if a pretty face can sell makeup, it can sell a message. And in a, in yeah, a, you know, yeah. I still kind of think of that in some way, you know, like it's just like an advertisement. You just want to present something in a nice way. And if you're like a sweet, friendly, smiling woman who's happy and not like, the Jody Emery who's an angry, screaming, sweaty mess at a police call. Like, you, you have to present yourself in a certain way, whether you're a man or woman or anything. You have to present yourself in a way that's appealing to people if you want them to agree with you. So I always said women have a power because we are more feminine and more emotional, but in a way that can get people engaged. I mean, alcohol prohibition was brought in by women, and it was ended by women. Mm -hmm. They brought it in because they didn't like the abuse they were getting. They got rid of it because they saw it all went wrong. And I feel that women are the tipping point for this discussion about cannabis because if we're going to be talking about kids, if we're going to be talking about health and looking after our families and our communities, we need to talk about cannabis. And women are happy to embrace that. And of course, it is a female plant. Mm -hmm. It is the female giver of life. And I think we're seeing a, a nice shift in the world right now in how we um, respect that balance that, you know, in a lot of historical, you know, the witch hunts and everything else throughout history, it's been about women being empowered on their own and using nature and the earth to help heal themselves and others. And that's a threat to more forceful, brute types that want to hurt people. <laughs> and I'm not saying all guys are brute force type guys, but I'm just saying that that sort of authority mindset, the patriarchy, patriarchy. it's yeah. definitely about that. So yeah. um, women are, are very, very powerful and even more so. And right now, because we're seeing such a massive push to like be heard and to let women be heard, mm -hmm. I think that's exciting. But I am very concerned that the old school establishment is creating a grass ceiling instead of the glass ceiling in that a lot of people who are already marginalized and women are already underrepresented as, as CEOs yeah. and everything. So all these people who are looking at legalization as an opportunity to get into an industry or a market with at equal opportunity, that equal opportunity is being erased. So um, before, we still have a lot before to, our eyes. Absolutely. And it makes me sad when I see, you know, once in a while you've got a old white haired guys company saying, look, we've hired a couple new women on board because we want to show how mm. equal we are. And I'm like, well, why don't, you know, for myself, <laughs> I think when I got arrested, it was after only 10 months of, of engaging in dispensaries. And when I look back at all the numbers and the franchising and all the people who are involved, and I'm thinking, you know, 
that's a national success story if it had not been illegal. You know, 32-year-old young woman business owner opens up 30 different stores, generating millions of dollars in sales, paying hundreds of thousands in taxes, employing hundreds of people in a national brand that gets in media. 10 months. Yeah. In, 10 in 10 months. months. That should have that could that could have been, been on the lake yeah, on the, the cover top of it all. 30 under 440 right. under yeah. 40 or whatever. And yet yeah. because Sophia it's Sophia Amoroso who? Yeah. <laughs> so it's because this is illegal though. I got painted as an organized crime gang gangster criminal and here I am today with a conviction and not looking at, it doesn't look like amnesty is going to be offered to people like me first wave will be amnesty for possession arrests the government can't fight that for much longer okay. the possession arrests for like you, little amounts for or small for amounts, amounts. Yeah, yeah most cases are possession they you know we talk about grandfathers who can't go to the U.S. because he got arrested for a joint in the 70s yeah. you know you, there's all these barriers that exist right now just for a simple possession arrest so because trudeau himself admits to possessing and passing a joint which is technically trafficking a joint yeah. but you know <laughs> so he admitted he passed a joint and didn't go to jail mark emery spent three months in jail for passing a joint other people get arrested for joints all the time so it'll be hard for the liberals to carry on with that they'll probably make it an election pledge next year we'll get yeah. amnesty so try and get votes again but then the next wave which i think will take like three years maybe will be trying to get trafficking for small scale so okay. when you think of all the dispensaries and all the quote-unquote street dealers yeah. you know you've got you, your and young you guys people. will be in that vein well, as well no or? we're in the third group so like the second yeah. group is trafficking under three kilograms like the law kind of breaks it down to possession for the purpose of trafficking under three kilograms or over three kilograms and they have that distinction so that it's like if you're a you know, twenty-year-old who has an ounce in mm -hmm. baggies, you're selling it, but we're not going to yeah, treat a little you like bundle a, or right? like a little small amount. So yeah, mm -hmm. so then you've got the other end because, like, I believe we can get those small-scale trafficking amnesty because we can argue and explain why dispensary employees and these marginalized young people are being unfairly persecuted with these yeah. trafficking records. So that'll be, it'll take time. Canadians do not like the word trafficker. It's a very bad, scary word. It brings up all sorts of horrible images. But then the last group looking for amnesty will be me and others like me, peaceful, nonviolent Canadians who have big time records over three kilograms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm deemed a very dangerous criminal in the eyes of the government. And unfortunately yeah. that also leads to exclusion from the industry. People like me who have criminal records, um, are not allowed to have legal businesses in many cases. Um, BC, our province of British Columbia, is looking at trying to allow people with criminal records into the legal industry, but even that's uncertain. There's a lot of talk from the government about, you know, the current industry is all gangsters. We don't want them. We need to force people to buy from the government safe marijuana, the, the good marijuana the government approves. And that narrative is so false and so dangerous and so scary. Um, because and out of touch, out and of out date. of touch, absolutely. And we know that government-approved marijuana was sprayed with pesticides and toxins yeah. that they were hiding from the government anyway. They don't so give it's like, a shit. No, it's not about health. It's nope. not about health at all. No, we no. know their agenda. Yes, and they and they're threatened by that. So that's what's so scary about being in this weird position. It's like, well, everybody right now who wants to be legal in the dispensary world or whatever is it, like, when you say I want to be legal, you're also saying. I am currently not legal, which means you're saying you're putting I up am, your hand. Yeah. Hi, I, I'm I'm here Look right for the picking. You know, mm -hmm. come on through, officers. Right, and so for myself, it's still scary. Like I'm doing media work and I'm doing legal transition work. So I'm meeting with the industry consultants who do all the licensing, who 
get storefronts. Like we're, we're still looking for cannabis culture. Our plan right now is to go to the provinces where private retail is allowed mm -hmm. and do franchising there. So where people so want Alberta, a name. Yep. Uh, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Um, Manitoba has four licenses given out. That's it. But they'll uh -huh. have 40 shops. So each licensee will get a shop. But even one of those is an out-of-country company. I mean, the whole way this is being done is just wrong, wrong, wrong in every way. Uh. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean if you build it, they will come. Like, is there a way for you to just play by just building what the way you'd want? Or no, you just have, you'd have to play by well, the we're, rules. We're trying, we've tried to do that. Every storefront we opened, we would say, this is what legalization looks like. This is how it should be. Yeah, People being okay. able to come in, they come to a counter, they don't have to give their name, they just have to be 19, check their ID, they can get cannabis. And ideally, it should be like Amsterdam. I mean, I don't know how the government of Canada was like, oh, we don't know how to do marijuana. No one else has done it before. It's like, there's a place called Amsterdam yeah, and adults like go into a cafe. Dutch. You <laughs> yeah. go in, you buy it, you smoke it, you have a coffee, you go home. It sounds perfect. All no. very civilized. Yes. Well, we're not civilized here in that sense. So no. the government keeps putting up these hurdles. So everything we want to do, there's something else that gets in the way. So even in Vancouver, it's like you can have a licensed dispensary now, but you're going to have to apply for the provincial license when it comes out. Mm -hmm. But even that provincial license is dependent on the federal legislation passing. So right now you've got the federal bill that isn't even into law and all these provinces are building up their plans around that law. But if that bill doesn't pass, um, then all of that, like, What's going to happen? So the next two years is going to be like... A shit show. <laughs> yeah. Instead of a free market, yeah. which it should be. I mean, the three goals of legalization were very simple. Stop criminalizing the existing consumers and Canadians. Like, yeah. if you use pot and you're not hurting anyone, you're not a criminal. No. The end. Um, second step should have been stop criminalizing the existing industry. The government mm -hmm. and all these authorities, yeah. they say it's worth $8 billion. It's bigger than mining and fishing combined and or whatever like, in These DC. are all entrepreneurs yes. who fucking figured it out on their own because they care about bringing this stuff to the community Canadian and to the people. growers. And, and, and they're so many women. Right. Everyone has been educated on this and they're taking the education out of it because right. people that are bud tenders are not going to go and work for the LCBO offshoot of whatever the, right. I can't all this expertise called. is being all that expertise missed is going to be lost and even banned they're even saying no yeah. if we think that you're involved with the illegal industry you're not allowed to come like some people don't even have to have a record they just need to google your name and if you're in a pot rally working with a dispensary you're out you're a criminal so these sort of exclusions are extremely dangerous because again they're just setting it up right. for big business and the second they'll go to the ad agencies and the exactly. marketing agencies and, and the, yeah. again the second reason to legalize was to legalize what already exists. It was like, hey, this existing industry is worth billions of dollars. It's already happening. It's mostly peaceful, nonviolent, consensual transactions. Why the heck is it illegal? So let's legalize that. That's what was supposed to happen, not try and recreate that entire industry through government force and coercion and gunmen sending you to buy it from them. But then the third one, speaking of government gunmen, um, the third reason to legalize, stop wasting hundreds of millions of dollars in law enforcement. Yeah. You know, it's incredible to see day after day Local, provincial, and federal governments promising more and more money to enforce the law against something that's not supposed to be against the law. I mean, right now, we already have billion dollars being spent in Canada on law enforcement. In addition to that, the government federally has pledged $276 million, or sorry, $274 million. No, it might be six. It's over or under. <laughs> but, um, but towards federal cannabis law enforcement. And then each province is like, yeah, we're also putting in, 
800 million towards cannabis law enforcement. There's a new Growbusters team, and there's new cannabis investigation branches, and there's new policing. So this is on top of the existing billion dollars being spent. And then you have cities coming out and being like, yeah, the city of Toronto has to spend 200 million as well. And Edmonton yeah. says, yeah, we got to spend 400 million. And everyone it's goes, a new branch on the money tree. It's incredible. Is that just to placate like the Sally Saskatoons and like Wendy Winnipeg's out there that just don't believe in cannabis? Like, is it? Is no, it the it's government? to make money. I think well, it's, it's to make money. Budgets. Like, I can't. Yeah. I can't figure. I mean, I understand that people are concerned about pot, but it could have all been dismantled. These fears could have been alleviated. It was the police. Like, if you go look at the stats, seventy-four percent of federal court cases and federal court time is spent on drugs and then something like 70% of all those drug cases are cannabis and then a huge majority of those are for possession so when you break it down like the criminal justice system has three legs and one of them is pot prohibition one of them is drug prohibition and the other one is the rest of the police work and if you remove cannabis prohibition or drug prohibition those cops and the criminal justice and the court system do not have a leg to stand on. I mean, those prisons and those jails depend on people being breached in their probation and returning and going through, spending hours and hours in courts processing. So no law enforcement and the criminal justice system depend on cannabis being illegal and the police are terrified about losing their budgets and that's why they've created all this fear about driving so that they can just yeah. switch all their enforcement to driving even though as far as I knew I thought our tax dollars were already paying cops to look out for impaired drivers but apparently yeah. they didn't know how to do that and apparently they don't know how to do it now so well, it's just insane. And driving highs I mean I'm not condoning it but that's how I learned to do spin outs in the snow as I got <laughs> super stoned. Well and we have the facts on cannabis and driving I mean it's 25 years of history, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the American Journal of Public Health, I mean, the American Automobile Association. I've got piles upon piles of studies showing that cannabis and driving is not a concern. In fact, where they legalize marijuana and make it more accessible, alcohol use goes down. So where yep. marijuana is yeah. available, alcohol traffic fatalities go down by 9 to 11 percent so oh, wow. you know i'm That's just a big it's number. a big a number. number and then and when you look at opioids and the opioid crisis right now we've got all the governments going oh we care we care about opioids and we need to stop the crisis and then they say well crack down on dispensaries and just yesterday dr sanjay gupta yeah. Obama's pick for you know the being in charge of health he turned it down but he's been on a campaign for years undoing the damage he did by saying pot was dangerous. So Sanjay Gupta came out with a letter to Jeff Sessions saying, listen, I changed my mind on cannabis. Cannabis is the sol is, will solve the opioid yeah. crisis. The evidence shows, piles and piles of studies show that where cannabis dispensaries are available, opioid deaths go down by 33%. Wow. Like when you, and when the government's promised to crack down on dispensaries, that to me, that's basically like, why don't you just go round up all the opioid um, users who are in trouble and just execute them on the street because yeah, like these dispensaries are proven proven through repeated studies yeah. across the board from years decades of, of analysis cannabis reduces dependence and use and overdoses from opioids so when the government talks about the opioid crisis and trying to do something but they ignore decriminalization and they crack down on dispensaries they're actually sending people to die and they have blood on their hands and then when I say stuff like that, I go, okay, I'm going to get a visit from the cops tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's like, because, no, but, but there's I mean, truth to this. There's so much truth to this. eliminated the truth the way the yeah. plant does it for you. Yeah. Truthfully, and, and honestly. I can't not say this stuff anymore. It's so like, I, I, even if I die for saying it, I can't. 
like this has to be known. Like people are suffering and cannabis is the tree of life. It's the healing of the nations. It's, you know, even when you were talking about housing, let's talk about how so many of our First Nations people are struggling on reserves of substandard housing. And meanwhile, you can build a hemp house for free that's fireproof and floodproof and antimicrobial and regulates temperature so you don't need heating and air conditioning and it removes carbon dioxide from the atmosphere so you're actually reversing climate change. We could have Canadian-grown houses. And let's talk about the automobile industry in Canada. Why don't mm -hmm. we start with doing what Henry Ford did long ago and what a lot of others are doing and use hemp composites in our vehicles. So then you have a car made of hemp that's a hundred times stronger than steel, won't dent, won't crush. So if we're worried about people driving stoned and crashing, we'll put them in a hemp car and nothing will happen because these cars will not Isn't crash. It, it seems so simple. <laughs> it seems so simple, right? But look, look, like this is a threat to it's so many threat. industries. Yeah. And that's why in Europe, you know, Mercedes Benz is using hemp in their car. Okay. In a number of the, I think it's C-series, they've been using hemp in the panels on the insides and stuff, oh, and it's lighter good. than steel and all that, but you cool. think the steel industry is down with that? No. no. Yep. So that's why you don't really see much of it in the U.S., but there are some companies like um, Lotus Car Company, I think. They made something called the Eco Elise. It's a hemp car. There's a gentleman who just came out with his hemp car. He had Jay Leno. They were driving around. It looks like the BC regulations are announced because phone so calls are coming in. But I'm just saying there's so many ways cannabis legalization could lead to job creation and yes. innovation yeah. and all these other rhymey words. Um, but the, the fact that the government aims to restrict and limit access will restrict and limit our opportunities and our civil liberties. And that's why we have to keep fighting. Keep talking. Yeah. Jody, keep using your you voice. You are such a wealth of information. Oh my I gosh, I have learned you so much today. I'm a cannabis evangelist. No, true. No, you are a cannabis amazing. angel. You true. Are. Can we call you a goddess of ganja? You can call goddess me of ganja. You like. <laughs> no more princess. You're the goddess. You're the goddess. Priestess. Like of oh, rise up to that level. Priestess. <laughs> Priestess. Ooh, there it is. <laughs> well, I do feel like there's a bit of magic at work here. There is. There is definitely magic at work, yeah. and there's magic within you. Please. Yeah. Keep sharing it with the world. I know you keep hearing that from the people, and there are days you're probably tired of hearing that. But, but now is more than sharing. ever. It's, yeah. it's important more than ever now. Thank you so. for inspiring us, and for I'm sure inspiring every single person who listened today. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Where can we so find much, you? Jody. Give oh, us your details. Jody Emery on Twitter and Instagram, and I don't check Facebook, but you can see stuff on there. But <laughs> it's just <Facebook>. Jody Emery, <laughs> J O D I E E M E R Y. Uh, you can find me through all those means and stuff. So yeah, reach out. I'm Thank now you your so new much. favorite. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. And Thank I'll be marching you. at the Global Marijuana March here in Toronto on the 5th, I believe it is, okay. on Saturday. So oh, yeah? Here, okay. Global Marijuana March, and we're holding a protest outside the Queen's Park building to remind them that, hey, maybe you should stop making illegal what's supposed to be legal. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Power to Thank the plant. You so Thank much. you. We will be there. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks Take for care. your time. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Insta at Hi Ho. Like us and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and whatever Stitcher is. And holla at your girls by visiting high life.